What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the show. Great to be with you today in studio. Paul George, right here, man down, but kind of back to our old selves here today. Deacon yes. Adam Conk, Paul George, just the two of us. Just the two of us, just like it used to be. Just the two of us. <laughs> yeah, Nonk Chad, he's on a, a, a wonderful trip with the Utes. Yeah, he took the youth to camp, Camp Crowcrest in Georgia. So good for him for spreading the gospel and helping young people Know the Lord. Good on you, Chad. Yeah, you go get them. I'm just <laughs> glad I'm not there. Too old. There is a certain uh, point where you stop looking forward to awesome trips that take a lot of energy. Right. Yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. 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 I would like to like do the rafting and then just chill the rest of the time or something like that. Go to mass, but I, I can't run around all day and you know. <laughs> like that. So it is exhausting. So God bless youth ministers. So exciting news. Yeah? Yeah, you just told me. I don't know if you know this. Well, you do, but it was exciting news. You invested in something. Yeah. You bought a pipe. What's I up, did. What's up with this? <laughs> you're, you're pipe Adam now? Like, yeah. Like, so, a, like a smoker's pipe. Like yeah. a, you put tobacco, tobacco and you, you, know, mm-hmm. you look all like sophisticated. Yes, I did. Um, well, this is completely to blame on a deacon friend of mine who owns a cigar shop. Okay. Uh, Chesterton's Fine Cigars. And um, he was educating me over the past year, I guess, on... I didn't I didn't know on this that world. a deacon owned that shop. Yes. And, uh, you know, the more you get into it, the more you get into it. Yeah, it's it's sort of a subculture, is it not? It really is. Now I'm finding out about all these, like, smokes places you know like oh yeah we meet here at this time to smoke a pipe or a cigar oh yeah we do you know i'm like what now is this sort of like this old school also blend of like hipster catholic folks who like smoke pipes and like talk about theology like come on like well i think it's a good intersection of the hipster folk and the old folk oh nice it's it's a place they can it's a common common ground yeah kind of like good whiskey is I, i'm not a whiskey drinker myself but apparently when you get into like fancy whiskeys it's a place where the older folks and the younger folks can kind of meet and discuss life together. And it's kind of like that with, with uh, cigars. And, and and full disclaimer, this is not the same thing as like cigarettes. It's a different culture. Totally oh, different. No, this is like a sophisticated, let, yes. let's let's talk life and theology and philosophy. and Yeah, and all of it. And smoke a pipe. I don't know what a pipe has to do with it. Maybe it puts you in the mood, like a cup of coffee puts you in a certain mood. Or a glass of bourbon puts you in a certain mood, or yes. whatever. I guess. No, that's exactly it. I'd you know, say the bourbon analogy is 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 right on. Now, my next door neighbor growing up smoked a pipe. The guy next door, mm-hmm. you know, and I loved the smell. The smell of it was fascinating to me. That's my only experience with a pipe. Yeah. Well, most most folks have some kind of memory of a pipe. That's usually a good memory. Now, I've had a lot of broken pipes, like in my house. Yes. Things in the like winter that. Time. Never smoked them. But I fixed them. <laughs> yeah, don't smoke the broken pipes. Don't smoke <laughs> the broken pipes. Um, but there's something about products that take a long time to work on to get right, like whether it's bourbon or a good beer or tobacco. Like if it takes a lot of energy and time and patience and wisdom to make it come out right, it just facilitates more noble discussion. I think mm-hmm. like when you're when you're sharing a glass. Of bourbon, you're going to talk about meaningful things versus like Miller Lite. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that that's and that that is you bring up a good point because I think what it does is 
I think what's lost in the culture is just to sit down and discuss, to talk, to spend time together, sit on the front porch or a back porch or in a living room and just spend time communally, right? Mm-hmm. And what like, you know, good things do, like I guess a good pipe or a good whiskey, you wouldn't have a lot of it. You're not over exactly. consuming it. You might sip that whiskey for two hours at one and just talk, right? And just enter into sort of this communal life. And that's that's what the point that you're bringing about is that we've sort of lost that in that culture. So this subculture of people who smoke pipes, it's not just, hey, let's smoke a pipe and like run the roads. It's like, <laughs> no, we're, gonna, we're actually our, our community. Like we're going to talk and discuss and whatever comes up. I don't know. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. And, you know, for the church, um, the devotional life of the church should be something similar. And, you know, it should be things that take a while to develop. Like when we go to pray the rosary, for example, we'll enjoy that communally if we understand the the depth of that prayer and maybe its history. Like when we get a sense that we're not just doing something that's a trend, then it draws us to that community. And, you know, Mass is like this, right? right. Like when we, when we have a liturgical experience that taps into the richness of it into the history of it into the depth of it we all know we're just experiencing something meaningful and then we want to talk about it if we have a liturgical experience a prayer experience that we know is a little more on the shallow end of the pool we don't stay around and talk so mass is like a good a good bourbon or a good pipe it's the best bourbon (laughs) it's the best of best whereas like a you know i don't know like i hate to say it like some other service is more like a i don't know a beer. <laughs> well, our our approach to it, you know, needs to be meaningful. And, and when we have a meaningful experience like that, we want to talk about it with people, right? Like we want to talk about that mass we just went to. We want to talk about the prayer we just experienced. If it's not meaningful to us, if it's not deep to us, then we can just run out of the parking lot maybe five minutes before it's over. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the traditions we had as a family growing up now as my kids get older, like, you know, we're not always together. You know, we get kids off at schools and different things, but to so go to mass and then go eat, right? Mm-hmm. And then just discuss like our day and and discuss the mass and what you got out of it and and then discuss life. Like it just it all just kind of like is together in that, you know, as a family. And I always loved that tradition because even if it was like a tough investment on taking our family to eat, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, as a big family it's not you know, always cheap, as you know. Yes. <laughs> but but the investment of that was just the the time, like the camaraderie, the talking, the, you know, stuff like that. And that's... that's well, I think you're bringing up a, a great point for all families today to consider is we all have generally the same amount of money. I mean, some are richer than others or whatever, but we all, you know, the average income, most of us kind of share in that range, right? But the question is how we're going to prioritize the money we spend. And if we don't prioritize those types of encounters of those, you know, a mass followed by discussion so that the meaningness of that mass and the meaningless can, can be facilitated, then we're going to prioritize other things. We are going to spend our money on something. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to just give that communal time like leftovers. And, and that's why a lot of us don't eat meals together as families. Like we just everybody eats on their own. I'll fix a pot of food. You grab it when you need. And we'll, you know, we don't invest in that time, even financially. Well, then life begins to lose its meaning because we find the meaning in that community. We find the meaning of life in that conversation after mass or in that 
You know what I mean? Like yep. that's where we find the meaning of the things we experience. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I enjoy about mass the most is that it slows me down. I think one of the vices that I have is that I just I'm always on the go, like a move. I'm always needing or wanting to do something, right? And so you know, I've kind of you know trying to grow in that area of slowing down and slowing down to be present with people and even myself. You know, so I'll have moments of slowing down in my prayer time, mass, but like in between that, like I'm, I'm just blowing and going. You've known I've been a tea drinker, right? Mm-hmm. And I will consume. I, I just drink it fast and go, right? You know that about mm-hmm. me. Well, I've gotten into coffee. There you go. And what I've learned about coffee <laughs> is sort of what you're learning about pipes. Is there's just a certain like, just enjoy good coffee. Yes. Sit and enjoy it and and be with people and talk and like just slow down a little bit, right? Because that's that's life. Like it's just it's being with people and experiencing life with other people, not just on your own, just going and not sitting still for a while. And I'm yeah. learning to do that and even at my age. And tea might be cheaper than good coffee, but you have to consume a ton of it. And right. that's that's the thing about these less meaningful experiences. No 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 Offense against tea. And some teas are like good coffee too. Yeah. There's good tea out there. Yeah, I'm talking about like more like iced tea. Right. You know, it's just like a pitcher of iced tea. Yeah, no offense to anyone who loves iced tea. Okay, it's a wonderful drink. But, no, <laughs> but at the same time, the less meaningful experiences, because they're less meaningful, we tend to need a ton of them. For example, um, you know, binge watching. This is the binge watching phenomenon. Mm-hmm. The experience of watching something on Netflix or, or Amazon or who or whatever, like that experience is not actually that meaningful, <laughs> but we enjoy it. And so we need a lot of it. We just need a da, da, da. When we watch a meaningful film, let's say, or like movie that actually has meaning behind it, we're not like, okay, what's next? We sit and we think about it. Yeah, and true. then we want to talk about it. Like, man, I watched this movie and it just rocked my world. Mm-hmm. We're not on to the next episode, not on to the next movie. Um, there's something about meaning that makes us stop and want to reflect. Yeah, that's, that's very true. All right, so do you have a, a have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real, though? Have you seen this? The USCCB was meeting this week, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. Right. Um, it's a virtual meeting. Sure. Which might be the new normal. I don't I know. I think we're all discovering. Maybe bishops don't want to be around each other anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, the, you know, they might be like, you know. This it is easier. You don't have to travel. Exactly. You know, like that's, that's an advantage. Twice flying to Baltimore just to meet. So anyway, they're having this meeting, and a couple days ago, our own bishop here in the Diocese of Lafayette, Bishop Douglas Desitel, made a presentation to the conference about Father Verbis Lafleur, and we just talked about him a few, few, few shows ago. ago. Yeah, you met, we mentioned him as as one of the few potential saints of in our in America. Yes, and uh, we have three in our own diocese that their causes were open last year, and there are processes processes to get to the next step. Right. Well, one of those processes is a consolidation or a consultation with the national conference where that saint is from, that they all agree this cause should advance. Well, that was the step for Father Verbis Lafleur a few days ago. Bishop Desitel presented his life, um, where we're at with that cause, and why it should advance, and he should be on the path to sainthood. Hmm. And they all agreed. Wow. So this is exciting. It's it's another step in that process for a saint from Acadiana. We've had some good votes. We've had, you know, unanimous vote in the USCCB for that. That's yeah. good. 
That is good. Yeah, so Father Vervis Lafleur, we talked about him a few shows ago, but that's interesting. I kind of saw that the USCCB was having their meeting, but I didn't know what, you know, and follow it online or Twitter or whatever, just different snippets. But that's pretty awesome. That is awesome. So it just means this cause is moving forward, which they could shut the case and it's like over, right? Yeah. But they decided to move it forward. Can right? you imagine if there would be like a few people that disagree? You know, so every almost unanimous, but let's say, I mean, it was unanimous. But let's just say there was, you'd be the, like this few bishops, you know, I don't think he should be a saint. Right. That would be terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was a um, actually a big vote in the Supreme Court this week, too. That's right. So I don't also know if you've unanimous. seen that, which was a unanimous vote, which upheld the rights of a Catholic arf, um, adoption agency, you know, and their rights to um, stay within Catholic teaching and to place children in Catholic homes. Um, and, you know, I don't know what else was there, but but basically the, the Supreme Court voted unanimously that um, their rights should be upheld, you know, upheld you know, their faith and their beliefs as a Catholic agency should be protected. This kind of renews my hope in America, right? Where you have a controversial idea that the Supreme Court is unanimous about. I mean, this should renew our hope, all of America. Like, look, we can have controversial topics and actually come to an agreement on some things or, you know, like it's worth exploring ideas yeah, and look, the, the vote of the Supreme Court, <clears throat> although we know that there are some Catholic folks on the Supreme Court, they might not all personally agree with the decision. But as a as a Supreme Court judge, the, they really are experts in the law, right, mm-hmm. and in the Constitution. So they voted unanimously like to, that to force this Catholic adoption agency to do something that's outside of their you know, their, their, um, beliefs as an organization goes against the constitution. It's against the law. So the Supreme court is saying, we're going to uphold that even if, even we don't personally would vote for that, right? Like the, the, it's a higher, it's a higher cause to, to make those decisions based on constitutional rights. You know, so it does give me some hope that, that rights are upheld that, you know, you know, I think for us, people who are Christian, you know, religious freedom, liberty is huge. Like to be able to practice our faith, to live it freely, to make decisions that protect our faith. And I think we've all felt at times culturally there's a shift to where that's not necessarily protected. Yep. Maybe on the local level or on the even on the on the uh, you know the the national level, you know, with with different laws and different you know, things out there, but on the Supreme court level, that was a big decision. Cause you kind of felt like, Oh, all right. Like, you know, they're, they're willing to, to, to look at the bigger picture. And on our climate today, I think that's awesome. It's a great example that, um, the law is interpreted regardless of what my personal opinion might be. Cause we live in a time where people disregard the law all the time or science or everything else just to facilitate personal opinion. Right. You know, like, regardless of the law, you know, this is the woke generation. The most important thing is that you have this opinion, regardless of what reason and science and and law has to say. So the Supreme Court just said, no, the law is objectively true or false. And this this action is either legal or illegal, regardless of how you personally feel about it. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, you know, 
I think one of the most amazing things about being Catholic, in a sense, follow me here, is that there can be times where you struggle personally with maybe a Catholic teaching or belief, right? Mm -hmm. But the church upholds the truth, right? And you're able to kind of say, you know what? The church has more wisdom than me personally and my feelings to know and uphold the truth, right? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes when people are talking to me, they're like, well, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. It's okay that you wrestle with that, but ultimately, sometimes it doesn't matter what you feel or if you agree or not. It's what, aka the Supreme Court upholds, the Constitution, aka what the magisterium upholds within the church as truth. And you ultimately say, like, my my mind, my heart has to has to you know bend to that, and that's freedom. Freedom mm -hmm. is is actually following the truth even though we struggle with it or don't always understand it or even like maybe even sometimes don't agree with it at the time. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, th and I think when people wrestle with that, th they often say with well, it, maybe I'm not a good Catholic or maybe I shouldn't be, you know, Catholic because I struggle with certain teachings. And my thought is like, no, 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 no. Like it's okay to wrestle with it and to, and to struggle with it and to research it and talk about it. And, uh, but ultimately what makes us Catholic is is that we 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 all are obedient to the truth of God, all of us, and 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 He's given the magisterium, right, mm -hmm. the authority to uphold that truth. And where does it say in Scripture, the truth will set us free? So we have freedom in following the truth, even if we struggle with the truth. Yeah, I love what you're saying. And there's a difference between being a free seeker and an enslaved seeker. Mm -hmm. So a free seeker wants to find the truth, looks for it, and then when it's found, is satisfied with the truth and happy with it. But we can be an enslaved seeker, which is not good, where we want to find a truth that suits us, and we're restless in the truth. And this is the type of person who, in finding the Catholic faith or belonging to the Catholic faith, it's still not enough for them because we haven't, like you said, given ourselves over to this truth. In other words, we want the truth to serve us, and if it doesn't, well, then we don't, we're not interested. But rather, when we want to serve the truth, we want to give our life for something, that pearl of great price that Jesus talked about. Like, we're ready to lay down our life for the truth, then we have the disposition to actually be freed by it. And it's okay to be seeking and understanding as that freed seeker, the one who wants to give your life. I just don't know exactly how. That's great. Um, and so don't don't discourage yourself by being a free seeker. This is a good thing, to seek to understand those things you don't understand. Seek to understand, but yet at the same time, the humility to accept truth, even if it's hard to accept, right? Yeah. All right, so we're going to take a break. When we come back, I have a pretty weird Catholic stuff that you're going to, I think you're going to love. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> I, good. I really do. It reminds me of you. Oh. Right. We'll be back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org.
Welcome back to the show, Paul George, Deacon, Adam Conk. Just the two of us. We're like going back to the old days. Old school. I do miss Nock Chad, but uh, this is nostalgic. Yeah, so just to, you know, reminisce, you know, how did how did Chad come on board? Well, COVID, we, yeah. you and I started doing the morning show every morning because everything was shut down and we would sneak in here, <laughs> quarantined, do a show, and uh, Chad was sitting at home by himself we call him like hey you want to you want to meet us in the studio and and uh we he kind of jumped in so wow it seems like forever ago when you put it that way but it was only a year yeah year and a half or whatever yeah. i don't know how long it's been but anyway but you know his seat is empty and uh we're proud of him because he's doing his you know ministry you know duties yeah, he's spreading the gospel. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. Go get him, Chad. So great to be with you guys today. Uh, thanks for listening in on the radio, KLFT Radio 90.5. If you are in our area, Katiana, or on the podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, whatever the case may be, thanks for being a part of the show. So I don't know, Adam, maybe uh, a month or so ago, maybe more, we reinstated a segment called Weird Catholic Stuff. Weird Catholic stuff. Yeah, and uh, I've been begging for like a a little sound thing. Yeah. But since we didn't make it, then you have to do it with your mouth. So we're going to do a Weird Catholic Stuff segment. And Weird! Weird Catholic stuff! There you go. That was perfect. You totally <laughs> outdid Chad, by the way. Yeah, that is awesome. Okay, so... Here, here's the thing. I was reading about this, and I've kind of heard this story, kind of in, in in jest or kind of like at a distance. But I, but I found it and confirmed, you know, at least the story of this, you know, to be something that is floating around. So, uh, Saint Denis was a bishop of Paris during the third century. So that was a long time ago. Uh, and a good one at that. Uh, he is preaching, uh, was so successful at converting people to the Christian faith. And this article says, what, what's supposed to be the primary job of any bishop, by the way, <laughs> that the local pagans arrested him and had him beheaded. So they cut his head off. Okay, which in and of itself is horrible, but not for those days, it was probably fairly normal occurrence, right? You know, the persecution of Christians. So, but the story doesn't end there. Okay. So, this is where it gets really, <laughs> really weird. So, if you're listening, buckle up. Okay. Now, we've had some weird stuff that we've talked about the last few, but, but here is a weird. But to their surprise, right? Uh, Dennis picked up his head. Okay. So, it was beheaded. So, it fell off. He picked up his head and walked away from the execution site preaching the gospel. So he kept preaching with his head, <laughs> his head off. Uh, needless to say, the whole beheading thing did eventually catch up to him. It says after about six miles, he finally collapsed and died. So anyway. Six miles. Yep. Yep. Dang. Now, could you imagine being there? Someone's head gets chopped off, right? A bishop, by the way, who's preaching. And then he picks up his head and like keeps preaching. And takes a six-mile walk. Takes six miles. I'm going to walk this off, by the way. I'm going to walk it off. Rub a little dirt on that. Yeah. And then six miles down the road, finally collapse and goes to Jesus. That is quite a witness. Yeah. That's weird stuff, man. That is weird stuff. Yeah. I mean, imagine being converted by that in the rest of your life 
Like, you know how today we're encouraged as missionary disciples to share our conversion story? Right. So for all the people converted by that, the rest of their life, that was their conversion story. So tell me about this Jesus guy. And you say, well, one day I was watching a beheading. <laughs> well, and there are certain like moments like that that are miraculous, per se. And if you were a witness to that, you never forgot it. No. You're right. Like, that is a part of someone's story of conversion. Like, I saw this, and it changed my life, right? Yeah. It was crazy, but I don't doubt that God is real, right? Right. The disciples, the apostles, the first witnesses of Jesus and his resurrection were like that. They're like, no, 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 no. We are preaching what we saw. And, and they were willing to obviously preach to the ends of the earth and die for it. But when you read the book of Acts, when you read the early church unfolded, they talk about what they saw, you know, and they were witnesses, right? And the word witness to be a martyr. They were witnesses to what they saw, that Jesus died and rose. And they would preach that without, like, apologizing for it. Mm -hmm. Who cares if they hurt someone's feelings? I saw what I saw. And you could deal with it, <laughs> right? And you read in the book of Acts where... Stephen, the first deacon, one of the first deacons that we know, as you know, you read in Acts, <clears throat> as you know, you know the the presbyter were getting overwhelmed by the work of the church, and so they they voted on uh, it says you know good men you know who could help in the work, and Stephen was one of those first voted, and it was a deacon he helped to serve the church, right? Well, he was as we know one of the first martyrs who who just started preaching. He preached about what he saw, what he witnessed, what changed his life. And he did not care if he upset people. And it's not like he was like, you know, making fun of people. He was just preaching the truth. And they killed him, right? They stoned him to death. Same with St. Dennis, the bishop. We need more of that. We do need more of that. And I think the early church was gifted with these many miraculous events of people dying for preaching the gospel, and in this case, continuing to preach after uh, being beheaded. <clears throat> and we can look to that in our own time as a self-examination of our willingness to preach the gospel, because at the time, like St. Dennis and even the apostles, the tension was those who would preach something as true that challenged what everyone else thought was true and what the government wanted to believe was true to keep them in power. And like so, the response was the government snuffing out Christianity or attempting to, right? But we live in a time that's a little bit different. So our Christianity doesn't really challenge our government in America, you know, in a sense. It may challenge the status quo or the cultural norms that we, we're trying to whatever, but it's not like the government is tomorrow going to say, all right, Christianity is illegal and we're going to start killing Christians. Maybe in 100 years, but not like tomorrow. What we face is the slow death of Christianity. And maybe St. Dennis is a good icon of this. Like he didn't die right away. He was beheaded, took him six miles to walk. It was a slow death of Christianity. Hmm. This is what we face in our church in America is that if we're not willing to preach the gospel in the same way as St. Dennis, there's going to be a slow death of our church over time, and then one day we're just going to collapse. When I think, you know, in our culture, we're um, we're not living this radical faith for the most part, or preaching it because we're afraid. We're afraid of the mob. We're afraid of being silenced or losing our jobs. You know, or 
a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where the that's where the martyrdom is. That's where like the persecution is. Is you know, if I say something too strong, the mob will come after me or whatever the case may be and try to silence me or you or whoever. And the thing that's different about the apostles or the saints who were martyred for, for their faith is that they didn't care about losing their life, mm-hmm. right, or their reputation. And that's where the rubber meets the road for us, you know. And I think, you know, we're in such a time as this, right, that Christians have got to just be authentically who God's calling them to be uh, and, you know, sort of steer the ship. We need leadership to preach the gospel like St. Dennis, like, you know, the presbyterate to, you know, do that. You know, you say, like, whoever was was there, that you know, that was a miracle for them. It mm-hmm. changed their life. And I've had a few moments like that, like it, just in my lifespan and, and, and my, you know, whatever. Um, but I remember as a, um, as an older teenager being at, uh, at a, at a thing where they were, some, they were praying over a, a woman who was crippled and she was healed. She got up out of her wheelchair and, um, and did the deal. She walked, you know, and I was like, I saw it with my own eyes and I didn't want to see it. I just happened to be there as a bystander. Right. And it was just like that moment changed a lot. Like in a sense of like, what? Like God is powerful. He's real. And there's times in my life where I'm like struggling with my faith. I just look back at moments like that and be like, no, 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 no. I remember, I remember that moment. Right. I, Mm. I remember when St. Dennis was beheaded and he walked away. Like God was there. God was present. We've all had little moments like that in our life where we've seen God move and act uh, in miracles, whether big or small, right? Mm-hmm. I guarantee you the person or the people who were praying over that woman were praying in faith, in boldness. They didn't care what people thought. That that was the difference. I think you bring up the the crippling fear of our church, of a society in, in the country, offending people. That seems to be the greatest tragedy our culture acknowledges. When we offend people, that's when we failed, you know? And um, if we adopt this as a church, we might be willing to die for the gospel, but we would die, like, we fear offending people more than death sometimes. Yeah. You know, like, even the best Christians, it's like, all right, if Jesus, you know, wants me to... Uh, you know, give my money, give my time, give my whatever for the spread of the gospel, I'll do it. But when it comes to offending people, he, he must not want me to offend people. Right. He, Jesus doesn't want to offend people, right? Like we, we're convinced of that. And so we shy away from those things. And, you know, these little miracles that happen today, like in your experience, I think a lot of, especially young people today, are fascinated by this in the way that a few generations ago they weren't. Like they would hear a story like that and they would say, oh, there's some scientific explanation it's, you know, whatever. But today, especially young people, they're open to the possibility of that being a real thing. Right. Until it offends someone else. <laughs> Until then you say, well, that, may, that means that Jesus is real and that the gospel is real. And so other things are not real. Well, then, oh, that's offensive to the beliefs of others. And so I think one thing that might get us out of our cowardice as a church and make us courageous preachers of the gospel again is to stop fearing offending people, to stop being afraid of that. It is not the worst thing in the world 
to offend people with the gospel. And Jesus is okay with offending people. Yeah, when we talk about offending, you know, I think people think, oh, you're hurting people's feelings. That, that's, not the, that's not what we're talking about. <clears throat> we're talking about, you know, the truth kind of makes us feel a little uncomfortable sometimes. It challenges us. And you can do that in love and in respect of human person and human dignity. Right. And we're not talking about like just like, oh, yeah, you know, and you just start going after people and, you know, their their flaws. Like we're not talking about that. We're right. talking about, you know, being unhinged with preaching the gospel and and the truth settles where it settles, right? Like it it's planted where it's planted. And if that's the case, we're like, oh, Jesus was just this nice surfer dude you know, then why was he crucified? You know, like he told Pilate the truth, right? Mm. I mean, he told the Pharisees and the Sadducees the truth, right? Like in love, he never, you know, of course he did, you know, turn tables over because he was protecting the truth. But but he never like tore anyone's dignity away. Like he, there was always a respect for the human person. Like, so, so that's what we're talking. And he even made the disciples feel really uncomfortable in the truth. And we'll see in the gospel this Sunday, you know, exactly that. Jesus, it says, Jesus said to the disciples, you know, this is the gospel for this coming up Sunday, Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41, uh, let us cross to the other side. Um, so leaving the crowd, they, they took Jesus with them in a boat, just as he was, um, <clears throat> and other boats were with him. A violent squall, so a storm, uh, came up and waves were breaking over the boat. Okay, uh, so we know there's a couple of storm stories in the gospel. Uh, so it was already filling up. So water was getting in the boat. Uh, Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. So the stern is the back of the boat. Okay, um, the bow is the front of the boat. So I don't know why he was in the back. Maybe it's just like it's more comfortable. I don't know. So <laughs> the port side of the boat is the left side of the boat. Okay. And then the the starboard side is the right side of the boat. Just just so you know, like that really helps a lot, actually. I, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard the full explanation. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm a boat ignorant person. Well, sometimes Jesus may be on the front, but this time he was on the back. I don't know. Maybe, I mm. you know it doesn't say why, but he was in the stern. He was in the back of the boat. Um, and uh, sleep on a cushion. They woke him up and said, "Teacher, uh, do you not care that we are perishing?" Okay, so these are the disciples. He woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Quiet, be still. So, so the wind ceased, and there was great calm. But it didn't end there. He then asked them, Why are you terrified? Do you not yet have faith? Like he just straight up like looks at them and was like, Do you not have faith? You know, Did he offend them? Maybe a little. Did he take their dignity away? No, not at all. Like he's asking them an important question. Like, do you do you not yet have faith? They were filled with great awe and said to one another, "Who then is this whom even the wind and sea obey?" Well, I love the icon of when I'm in the front, Jesus in the back. Things are not going well, right? And when I wake him up and say, "Jesus, come on, you get in the front. Things go well," and um, so I love that little image that you just brought out that like Jesus was in the back, they were in the front and uh, it was terrifying. Right. But yeah, I think what you're, what you're bringing up is the love of offending people. Cause like offense that you're, you're on the attack, so to speak, but who was Jesus attacking? Not them, but their lack of faith. Right. In other words, sin. 
I mean, sin is a separation from God. That's what sin is. And we inherit sin. Some, of, some sin is not our fault. You know, original sin is not our fault. We inherit it, but it is real. We are really separated from God, and we live apart from him until the grace of the gospel, until Jesus Christ comes and saves us from that. It is a real thing. And so it's not like we're offending people in the bad sense when we say they need Jesus, as if they're not okay without him, because none of us are okay without him. And so to proclaim the gospel, the need for Jesus Christ, is offensive in that we're saving people from a life without him. We're on the offense. We're on the offense to sin and the enemy. Jesus looks at those people with love and says, you, do you not yet have faith to snatch them out of a lack of faith? And this is a beautiful love that offends, because true love will offend where a lack of love is present. It's offensive. It calls us to that greater love. Mother Teresa offended people who lacked love in their hearts when she would pick up the dying off the streets. They would say, why are you doing this? You're making trouble for us. Because these people dying on the streets, we can exploit or we don't want to care about them, but you make us care about them. You bring it to the forefront. It's offensive. But yet some people around, not even Christian, around Mother Teresa, began to love dying people in the street because Mother Teresa was willing to offend by her love, was willing to, to attack the, the hate or the negligence, the indifference that we have to the poor. She attacked it, and the gospel was spread. Yeah, so let's be honest. If you and I read the gospel and we're not offended, we're not reading it. Yeah. Like we're not reading it like to the point where we're like, I want to read this so it challenges my life. Like it challenges me to fall in love with Jesus more, to be holier, to let go of myself and my sin. You know, like if, if I read the gospel through a lens and I'm not challenged, man, I'm not reading it because, because the truth challenges us to be better humans, to be totally free. And to be totally free means we got to let go of a lot, right? So there, I mean, the gospels are packed with like challenging statements from Jesus, you know? Um, I mean, you, we could just start listing off a few, <laughs> right? Just things that are so challenging. You're just like, man, like uh, that offends me, you know? If you look at a woman lustfully in your, you know, in your heart, you have committed adultery. What? <laughs> right? It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. What? Are you not offended by that? Yes, I'm offended. Why? Because it's challenging me to be fully who God's calling me to be. I mean, there's these statements in the gospel where Jesus really, really, really preaches the truth, and that's good. It should because it, it's good. It, it's freedom for us. The state of being offended by the gospel is the state of being loved by God enough for him to snatch me from sin, to snatch me from indifference, to snatch me from the enemy. It is offensive. The gospel is an offense. The gospel is not a defense. We don't pick up the gospels to defend ourselves from anything. We pick up the gospel so that God can be on the offense in my life, that he can reach into my life. St. Augustine calls it a divine invasion. <clears throat> Grace is a divine invasion that God would literally reach in past my defenses and offend me, that is, defend me from the enemy and, and reclaim me. And the state of being offended by the gospel is something to be sought after, not something to be protected from. We can't sugarcoat the gospel from people as if we're protecting them from something bad. The gospel is offensive, and it's good for people. 
Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. What? That offends me because I don't want to do it, Mm -hmm. right? But Jesus is saying it because he knows it's what sets us free. He knows that the truth will set us free to live fully who we are. Forgive 70 times 7. No, that's way too much. I'm not doing that. And look, when we meet people that are deeply hurt by other people, we do them no favors by sugarcoating that, right? We, we do them no favors by saying forgiveness is a lifelong process, and hopefully you'll get there one day, and it's little by little. Not that those items aren't true, but we need to be confronted, even in the midst of our pain that someone else hurt us with, with the truth, look, Christ is calling you to forgive. He's not calling you to do the impossible, but forgive as much as you can today. That's how you're faithful to Christ. We don't want to say things like that because we think it's offensive to someone who is just hurt by someone else. If you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Jesus said that. And we don't want to walk into churches and chanceries and and all these things and say, this is all very lukewarm. (laughs) Right. We would like to read the gospel and skip the things that offend us. Mm. We really would because it makes us feel comfortable. But Jesus is not about making us feel comfortable. He's making us helping us to be free, right? Because he's, he's right. Like, if we're lukewarm, like, we're so mediocre. Like, that's not where we find freedom, right? Mm-hmm. That's why he said there's two paths. There's one of destruction, you know, which is wide, and, and, the, and the path that's narrow leads to eternal life. That offends me. I want mm-hmm. the wide path. I want to walk the easy path, right? Yeah. But we don't want to read that because it offends us, because the narrow path is harder. Why does Jesus say that? Because he knows what sets us free, right? You can go through the gospel, and when you read it, if you're not offended, you're not reading the right things, right? You're not really looking to be challenged. And I think we do live in a culture today where we don't want to be challenged. We don't want to be offended. Uh, We don't want our beliefs to be, you know, changed and, 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 uh, you know, reconfigured in light of the gospel, right? I have to wrestle with those things in a good way, as we talked about earlier, so that I can conform to Christ, which St. Paul says, to conform our life to Christ. And that's that's a lifelong journey. It's hard. There's times where it's very, very difficult, um, but that's where we find the most freedom. Well, our society, sh- literally, sh- we're shaping our laws around not offending people, literally. Like that's the, the basis of how we're moving as a society. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. But I'm not saying that in despairing. I'm saying, look, we can choose to live as true Christians, which are willing to preach the gospel like St. Dennis, like the apostles, in season and out of season. And we don't have to be caught up in the culture we live around. Rather, we ought to shape it. We ought to offend people with the gospel. And what's going to happen? Well, some of us might get our head cut off. But people are going to know Jesus Christ, and people are going to be snatched from the enemy. People are going to be set free by the truth that we're willing to say, because if we're going to try to find a version of the gospel that's inoffensive, we're going to sacrifice the gospel itself. We'll be preaching something other than Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. no, There's no version of it that's not offensive. Amen to that. All right, so why don't we take a break? We'll be back with a little six-pack of questions I think you're going to want to know about. All right, The Paul George Show. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. 
Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in on the radio or on the podcast. Paul George, Deacon Adam Conk. Lots changed since we started this show. But when we started it, you know, for the most part, it's been you and I for, for a lot of the years. For the most part. You know, I mean, you helped what, me. Pro- four years? You helped years? me start it, but Casey uh, produced it for a while while he worked at the station. Mm-hmm. Then you and I, and then Chad jumped in the seat. Who knows how long he'll be here. He's, he's going to be starting grad school. Um, you know, busy young man he is. Busy. That laddio. But one <laughs> of the segments that we started uh, really from the very beginning was six pack of questions, which you had kind of come up with, I think. No, I you came up with the idea. I came up with the uh, little ditty. With the gong? Yeah, well, let's listen to it right So you have the, the snapping. Mm-hmm. That's the six pack part. Okay. The gong, I don't know what the gong's about, to be honest with you. <laughs> listen up, everyone. <laughs> And then you have question, question, which is Dwight from the office. He used to say question a lot. So, so were you I, around? So when I was a kid, there was a there was a show called The Gong Show. No. Okay, no. so that was before your time. Okay. Um. So there was a game show called The Gong Show, and there was a huge, big gong, like gold, like thing with a you know hammer that you would hit it with. And you know the funny part was like when you got a question wrong. Like, they would just hit that gong. Right next to you? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, it was like in the center of the room. It was a gong show. You got gonged. Oh. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. So maybe I knew this in my subconscious. Like, maybe I watched not. it as a child, and maybe. that's why the gong's in the question. All right, so let's get to it. Six-pack of questions. I get thirsty question. every <laughs> every time I hear that. I really do. All right, question number one. We talked about um, Father Verbus Lafleur and uh, cause of canonization moving forward in the USCCB, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. Um, so my question for you, if you could advance the cause of someone you know or have known that maybe died, like you think might be a saintly person, about someone who's dead because mm-hmm. they're alive, that's just weird, but someone you've met, maybe they have died, and you're like, you know, I could see that cause moving forward. Hmm. This could be someone personal in your life or you just happen to meet doing ministry or something like that. Who would be a, your pick of like a possible future saint? Gosh, man. Um, true. That's a really good question. I mean, my, my mind's spinning right now. I'm sure yours is too, mm-hmm. right? Um, actually, one of the tragedies, and and this guy wasn't Catholic, The 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 word on the street is that he was actually studying to be Catholic, but he was a big time Christian musician. His name was Rich Mullins. Yes, yeah. Rich Mullins was like, I don't know, I don't know enough. You know, he was young, like maybe in his forties, and he died in a car wreck. But his music um, was just really, really about Jesus. Like, just you know, and. He was a single guy, actually, lived a life of celibacy, um, and lived like like dirt poor, 
although he made money, he, he lived dirt poor on like Indian reservations. Like there's some stories about him. You're just like, that was very, very saintly, like very countercultural to what we see today. Mm. He would refuse to go to, uh, you know, music awards to receive awards. Cause like Jesus would never do that. Mm. Like he like really pushed the envelope and often think like he died way too young. Um, but there's been a lot of stories of people who have had conversions because of his life. No so, kidding. Yeah. It would be interesting to see, you know, you know, because he wasn't quote unquote Catholic, like what his, what his, you know, canonization could be if at all. So, but I met him, you know, through, he would, when he was in Phoenix, I lived there, he would come to mass when he was in town. No kidding. Yeah. How interesting. Well, I know, I have friends who, who were good friends with him, but I wasn't. I have to look this up. Yeah. All right, question number two. So we talked about um, courageous preaching of the gospel, and uh, this could be a whole other show, but in brief, what makes good preaching? What is good preaching? You know, we were talking about this the other day, not you and I, but there's a certain priest who I love his homilies, just personally. As someone who preaches and gives talks, I could be a little bit critical. I don't ever want to be critical of a person, but you know, it's just hard to get my attention. And, uh, this priest is, does, does not, uh, do super well at, you know, having great inflection points and he's not charismatic. Um, he's very monotoned and I listen to every word he says, every word. And I'll tell you why, because his content is spot on and he preaches the truth and it's really good. And when that's there, it doesn't matter how entertaining you are or like, you know, all those things. Uh, when, when the content is there, the truth is there, you you will listen. That's my opinion. And so certainly everyone has their styles. That's his style. Like that's just his personality. And uh, you can do your own style, but if it's void of the truth and void of the content that's that that's going to like draw people, then, it, then it's meaningless. I like that. Good preaching is true preaching. Yeah, Love it's it. just preaching the truth. All right, question number three. So we talked about um, the gospel offending and being okay with that. What's the difference between being someone who's willing to preach the gospel, no matter who it offends, and someone who's just a jerk, a Catholic jerk? What's the difference? <laughs> I think like Jesus would preface things, like, and, I, and I'm just saying it more in contemporary modern speech and semantics, is, hey, I love you, but I got to tell you this. Mm-hmm. You know, like with Peter, Peter, you love me. I love me, but we got to talk, right? <laughs> like when they, when they had just this intense interaction, right? I imagine when Peter, uh, started to drown in the water, right? When he came out, you know, this, the gaze of Jesus, I love you. I'm going to hold you up, but where's your faith? So I often think that, that Jesus prefaced things with like, Hey, I love you enough to tell you this. And I, and I think that's, that's where we got to land. That's, that's where we got to be. I love you enough to tell you this, and I'm going to still love you even if you don't do it, <laughs> you know, kind of mm-hmm. like with our own children. I love you enough to tell you this, and I'm going to keep loving you even if you don't do this immediately. I like it. All right, question number four. Um, I've heard it said about good leadership that you need to surround yourself with people that disagree with you. Like if you're in leading a group or something like that, you have, you have to have people in your life that will disagree with you mm-hmm. or offend you, in this case, like we're talking. How true is that of our personal life and the friends that we choose to make? Um, is there some truth to that, that we ought to 
kind of gravitate sometimes to people that might offend us in the truth? I think as long as it's truth. I mean, I, I you know, I had a friend one time, he would just argue to argue and it was really painful. Mm-hmm. Like it was just, it was just painful. No, and you didn't want to be around that. Was it me? It was not you. Okay. But I often think about our, you know, I think our marriages should have a little bit of that. Like, like there should be some times where, where we have not only some, maybe some disagreements or like we see things differently maybe how to discipline a kid or how to do certain things or even see things differently on the political scale. And it's okay to be like, let's talk through that. Like let's, you know, because that's what really challenges if we're just like, Oh, we just think the same on everything. It's just like, Oh, well I just, we just kind of stop growing. You know, we're still individuals in our marriage and in our friendships. And it's good to kind of bring that around. And, you know, I have friends who are from other countries and they think, of things a lot differently than I do. And it's good to hear, right? Like, mm. ooh, wow, I never thought about that. Your experience is so much different, you know, than mine. And some people don't want to hear those things because it really challenges their their sort of views. I like those things because I like my views to be challenged and I like to think of it from a different perspective. So right on. All right, question number five. Let's say we just gave ourselves during this podcast a uh, little gut check about whether we're courageous preachers of the Gospels or not. Let's say we decided that we're not, that we tend to cower. What's some ways to kind of build up that muscle of, of courage to preach the Gospel, even if it might offend, if we just don't have it? How might we build that in us? Well, I think all things should come through prayer anyway. That, like That's our source of everything is just drawing grace and strength from our prayer, you know. And, you know, I think as we close our prayer time each day, we should have some sort of prayer that says, Lord, use me today. You know, like put me in a situation where I can be you to a situation or to someone. And so we're more aware of just being in a place where we can, you know, be Jesus, preach the gospel, you know, and that could be in whatever scenario. But I think drawing our source from prayer, our courage, our strength, the grace from prayer, from the sacraments, you know, but, you know, again, like I I think a person or a community that's not missional just kind of lives mediocre and lukewarm. And I'm constantly challenged. Yeah, I got to draw my source from prayer from the sacraments, from mass, but I'm also sent out as a disciple. All of us are. And if I'm not doing that part, then I'm not really fully living the gospel, honestly. Question number six. So zooming in on that answer of prayer, and we talked earlier about gospel passages that might challenge me. Um, What's a productive way to pray with the gospel in a way that is kind of intentional about being challenged by it? Like how do we how do we sit with that gospel with Jesus in a productive way to let God reveal things to us that might be challenging? Yeah, I think we, you know, we kind of hit on a little bit, but if you take the gospel of this Sunday, you know, the disciples in the boat, Jesus in there, the storm, what a great gospel. Where are you in that scene? Where are you in that gospel passage? Where am I? You know, I'm probably, you know, one of the disciples who are complaining, scared to death, and have little faith. And Jesus looks at me and says, where's your faith? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> but i got to be honest with him in prayer about that. Like, and just not just say, you know what, I was asleep on the bow, and I was fine <laughs> in the boat. 
No, I mean, I got to be real honest about where I was in that situation. Maybe I wasn't even in the boat. Maybe I was too afraid to even go. You know, so like really challenging myself in prayer in the scene of the Gospels. And that one of the great things about ordinary time is that it, it takes us through the ordinary Gospel readings. You know, I say ordinary, but it, you know, we're not in Lent or Advent, uh, Christmas, Easter. We're, we're in just living the Gospel season, and it's really good. So it's a good time to really enter into like consistent prayer and reflection. And Gospels like we have this Sunday are great images for us to find ourselves in and, and to be challenged, you know? And so I read that gospel. I'm like, yeah, I mean, Jesus is asking me, like, where is my faith? Like, where is it? How strong is it? Do I trust him? So anyway, man, six pack just flew by and I'm thirsty. <laughs> Adam's going to go smoke a pipe today. So anyway, thank you guys for listening in. Feel free to share the show on the podcast and uh, however you can do that. Thanks for KLFT Radio and all the people at Katie Anna for listening. And we'll be back next week. God bless.